Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. My name's Kate and to quote Stephen Mosley, I'm one of the people here. Today's reading comes from Deuteronomy 12, starting at verse 1. The one place of worship. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess, as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on high mountains and the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of the gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts. What you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you, as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place your Lord God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you, both ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat it. You must not eat the blood. Pour it on the ground like water. You must not eat in your own towns the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil, or the firstborn of your herds and flocks, or whatever you have vowed to give, and your freewill offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns. And you are to rejoice with the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, You may slaughter animals from the herds and flocks the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you, and in your own towns you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat them as you would gazelle or deer, 
both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat. But be sure you do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life, and you must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give, and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both meat and the blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshipping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. See that you do all I command to you, but do not add to it or take away from it. Thanks very much for that. Good morning, Allgate. How are we? Are we all asleep after that reading? Because I know the first time I read through this passage, I thought, wow, that could be my new bedtime story. Because I got to the end of it and I went, I'm not sure I took in a single word. So hopefully we're going to try and change that in the next... 10-ish, 15-ish, however many minutes Nick will indulge me for, um, and then Elliot will come up. So we're doing a split sermon, which is a little bit strange. It doesn't happen all the time. But uh, just so that you're aware, I'm doing the Old Testament, which means I'm only talking about Deuteronomy and like one other passage I'm going to sneak in there. And Elliot gets all the fun, new, exciting stuff that happens after the, New Test- the Old Testament. So get excited for that. Bear with me. All right, before we start, let's pray. Dear God... I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can gather. I thank you for all the services at Hills that are gathering around the Hills. I pray for today with all the important and exciting things with our services and our members meeting and then our night service tonight. I lift up all of these things, in particular this morning's sermon to you, because your plans are so much better and so much more well thought out than ours. In your name, amen. As you heard before, my name is Chip. I'm from the night service. To give a slight bit of context about me, I have a strange background. I didn't grow up a Christian. I came to faith a bit later on. And then I worked in the Lutheran system as a youth pastor. So if you get that sort of energy that I'm talking to you as a year nine student, that's where that comes from. Um, I promise to do it always because I enjoy talking to people like the year nines because that's how we get clear communication because I assume you don't know that much and you don't want to listen to me and so I tell you in really painstaking detail all the things you should hear from me. So that's what you've got to look forward to today. (laughs) But before we get to Deuteronomy 12, I want to do some context because I'm at Bible college and all they tell us about the Old Testament is context, context, context. If you don't know where you're coming from, you've got absolutely no idea where you're heading. So we're going to do a little bit of context today, so bear with me for that. Before we get to Deuteronomy, there's a lot of important things that have happened in the story. And I've only got 15 minutes, so I won't give you a recap of the whole Bible up until now. But one of the main things that I need you to understand is where the Israelites are coming from. 
Before Deuteronomy, the Israelites are traveling together in the desert for 40 years, which is a long time. And we always, I know I personally do, I look at this and I go, what a negative. They wasted 40 years walking around in circles in the desert and then they got to the promised land. But it's not just a negative. Sure, it was 40 years and that's a long time to be walking around in circles, but a lot of good things happen when you spend time in community. Think of it like this. Have you ever been on a camp, preferably a Christian camp, maybe a mission camp or you've led on a youth camp or you were once a youth on a youth camp or something like that? When you're on camp, so many powerful things can happen. You're in community. When you wake up, all of the people you're in community with are there. When you have a meal, everyone is there. When you're spending time together, you're spending time with the people there. Always, every minute of every day. And sometimes it feels like, oh, I wish I could get away from them. But in hindsight, when we look back on camps, and particularly good memories of camps, because they can be bad memories, but the good parts of camp is you're together all the time. Every single thing you do is together. You wake up together, you eat together, you find food together. All these things are together. And I know most of us would have been on a camp and maybe it was a week, maybe it was two weeks. And there's something really powerful, really beautiful about that. And when you leave, that can be sad can be tricky. It's hard to grasp the things that happened on that camp and carry them into the rest of our lives because we're not on camp anymore. We're not together. You can wake up by yourself. You can have food by yourself. You don't have to spend time with these people. And there's something that is lost there, something major that is lost. And as we go into Deuteronomy, they knew this would be the case. They've spent 40 years where every single day they would walk up wake up surrounded by their people and in the presence of God. They followed him everywhere, day and night. If he moved, they moved. If he stayed, they stayed. That's the situation they're coming from. And now they're going into the land where they will spread out, where they will perhaps be more prosperous because they have lands to farm and and towns to inhabit and places to grow. But what they won't be is in community. They won't wake up all together every day. They won't share food all together every day. They won't make sacrifices all together every day. This will be a solitary time, a time of spreading out and a time of perhaps loneliness. So when we view Deuteronomy in this light, that we're talking to a group of people who have spent, for a lot of them, their entire lives together and who are now not going to be together, There's a certain level of comfort that comes in this verse, in this chapter. We're almost mandating social gathering. We're going, I know you're spreading out, but you have to come back together to make sacrifices at this one place. Don't make them anywhere you choose. Don't go up a hill and call it a day. You have to come back together. And when you do, it will be a joyous reunion. That's the context. That's where we're coming from. You have to come back together. Let's get into it. I have a three-ish point sermon, as any good sermon is, is three-ish points. So my three points for you note takers or you people who are just really excited for me to stop talking, you want to know where we're at. It's in his name, in his way, with joy. Those are our three points. So whilst we've been going through Deuteronomy, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and how Deuteronomy shines a light on them. We're up to the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. It's a strange commandment. 
we throw it around a bit. Some people say don't swear, that's a bad thing to do. Some people say don't say the name ever, that's a tricky thing to pull off, but some people go with it. What does it mean? What does misusing the, Lord, the name of the Lord mean? In Deuteronomy, it unpacks this. It doesn't just allude to it. It says it very bluntly. It means don't worship as the other nations do. Don't listen to their idols. Don't simply go up a hill. You must follow the Lord God. He will pick a place to put his name. One place to put his name. And that's where his presence will be. We have the advantage of hindsight and we know that eventually becomes Jerusalem and the temple. But at this point, we haven't got that knowledge. We know that he will pick one place. Not many, not multitudes like the other nations have. He will pick one place and that's where he will put his name. And so that when we are to worship, when we are to go and be in the presence of God, when we are to listen to his name, we have to go to this one place. It's not a task we have today, thankfully. We can go many places. But here we have to go to one place To be in his name, to be in his presence, we have to go there. And there's a lot of importance to this. Again, this is now a journey, whereas once when we were, when we, when the Israelites were travelling in the wilderness, this one place to go was at the centre of their camp. It was pretty hard to miss. There was either a cloud or a pillar of fire, pretty easy to find. Lots of people would be going there. You could always ask for directions. Now it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a sacrifice. You're going to have to take time off work. You're going to have to walk a long way. You're probably going to have to take some stuff with you so that you can sacrifice it when you get there. It's a whole ordeal. But that's what they're called to do, to go to this one place, to be in his name. So, in his name. Secondly, in his way. I quite often read the Bible or think about God and I go, gee, I wish that there was an instruction book or that this was really clear, or that when God says do this, he gave me, you know, 10,000 lines I could read on exactly how I should do this. And sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I go, oh, maybe I should read that more because it's really, really clearly laid out. Like, you read this chapter, there's no misinterpreting that there are certain things you need to do and there are certain ways you need to do them, and perhaps in painstaking detail, they're outlined in Deuteronomy. So in his way, not in the way of the other nations. There's not a million places to go. Don't go up a hill. Definitely don't sacrifice your children. God's very clear on that one. That's no go. No good. In his way. It's in community. When it speaks about coming together, it always speaks about joyfully with your households and your male and female servants and your children and the Levites. It's a community. So when we're to worship God, we're to come together. We're to gather. We're to gather at the one place that he has chosen to put his name and we are to do it as a community of God's people. We're to do it in his name, in his way. Before we get to the third part, I just want to dive into that little weird section that we like to look over with the don't eat meat, do eat meat, don't eat the blood, pour it out, yada, 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 yada. I got... It's a really interesting section though. If you indulge me for 30 seconds... (laughs) This passage coming from the context of travelling in the wilderness, um, during the wilderness, the Israelites were provided for entirely by God. Everything they had, so the animals they had for sacrifice were very limited, but they were enough. 
He provided for them. There was provision for all the things they needed, but there wasn't plenty. And now we've come into the land that God has given them. He's giving them plenty. They'll go out and they will farm herds of cattle and they will grow grain in the land. And they need to know how to deal with that. Because before, if you wanted to eat a cow, you better sacrifice it first because it's the only cow you've got and your sacrifice needs to be done. So you couldn't just eat meat willy-nilly. But now they will have more than they need for sacrifices. They'll have lots, so how do we tackle this problem? And in Deuteronomy, they allow this to happen. They go, it's okay, you've got more. Be joyful about that. Be grateful for that. Do your sacrifices appropriately, but you can eat meat, which is where you get your fun verse of, if I want to eat meat, and I say, I want to eat meat. It's such a good verse. (laughs) I often say that at home. I would like to eat meat. It's good. (laughs) Might hang it in my kitchen. Anywho. So that's what that's about. That's a callback to something that isn't necessarily useful for today's sermon, but I did it anyway because here we are. So we have to go to the place that he has put his name. And when we get there, we have to worship in his way, not in the way of the nations. And this all sounds very legalistic or very arduous or very tough and sacrifice seems like such an awful and dirty thing to us today because the idea of you know, sacrificing an animal or burning our crops seems so strange and weird and foreign. But that wasn't how it was received by the Israelites. That's something we have placed on this idea of it being such a negative experience. When sacrifice is brought up, it is always brought up with joy. When they gather together, they rejoice When they perform a sacrifice, they celebrate. This is an exciting experience for them. It's a wonderful opportunity to be be in the presence of God, with the people of God, and worshipping in his way. In verse 12, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and your sons and your daughters and your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with, with you. They go together. They go to the one place that his name is. They worship in a way that he has prescribed. And all of this is done for the joy of the Israelites. This isn't a negative story. Perhaps we can see it that way really easily. This is a positive story. This is you've been on camp together and I know you're away now, but we'll catch up. We'll have a meal together and we'll celebrate when we do it. I know personally I've been on camps where there has been nothing afterwards and it's really hard because you go, wow, that was such a wonderful experience and I'll never get it again. It's gone. But I've been on trips as well uh, where we have been intentional about catching up afterwards, about maintaining those relationships and perhaps not perfectly. I know the Israelites sure weren't perfect. But when you take that change where you go, this was a brilliant experience and I'm going to put in strict rules to make sure that I can continue to connect with it so that we catch up, so that we can be joyous together, so that we can be in community again, even though we're not going back on camp. We're not going back into the wilderness for another 40 years, but we can come together and worship in his name, in his way, with joy. This is what Deuteronomy 12 says. It says, here you go. This will be tough and this will be tricky and you may not want to do it all the time, but I have outlined how to do it for you. 
And that's tricky because we don't always look to the New Testament for how we should do things because we've got this shiny New Testament and it's nice and we don't have to sacrifice things in it. Well, not animals anyway. And Elliot will get to that. But sometimes there's value in looking to the Old Testament, that dedication, that commitment, that setting things in place in order to do worship properly are really powerful, are really important, so that when amazing things happen, they aren't lost to time. So that when we walk with God in community and we see incredible things, we don't just move on and forget them. In many ways, that's what church is designed to do. But I would say that more is needed. We need to do more, not just Sundays. We need to be really intentional about this sort of worship. And Elliot's going to tell us what that looks like now. (laughs) Thank you, Chip. Good morning, everyone. My name's Elliot, and it's a blessing to be with you this morning. So, Deuteronomy 12. I've always been fascinated with the name of God. Uh, Ever since as a kid, I watched a particularly kooky Rob Bell video that taught me that God's name wasn't just God. Uh, I'd heard the name Jehovah, which I mainly associated with possibly the least creative bridge of of a worship song of all time, if you guys know the one I'm talking about. Um... But I didn't quite get what that was. Um, I later learned it was kind of a mispronunciation and that it's probably pronounced Yahweh. Um, But what we're really sure of is these four letters, Y-H-W-H. And I thought this was pretty cool, that God has this, like, secret name that people don't actually know how to pronounce that well. Like, it's like, whoa, magic. Um, But I didn't really understand the significance of what that name was, the way it's used and thought about in the Bible. Because in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it represents God's reputation. It represents you know, his honor. But it also, it's used as synonymous with where God's presence is. And you see that in Deuteronomy 12 that we just talked about. He says, the place where I will place, put my name. That is the temple. That is the tabernacle. That is where God's presence is. This place of worship where God is coming down to camp among his people, where his manifest presence is, is the place where he's placed his name. And that place wasn't safe, and that's why we have all those rules about it. But it was also a place of great joy, where the community came together, where they were one as God's people, where sacrifices would be made. So what's happened to this place where God has put his name? In Luke 23, just as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple, the new version of that tabernacle that is found in Deuteronomy 12 is split in two. Luke says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So the name of God was loose. It's no longer contained. Where did it go? As we learn later in the New Testament, the presence of God left that singular place to camp within the very hearts of his people. 
In 2 Corinthians, it says, He, meaning God, anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts. So the presence of God is manifest within the people that follow Him. Okay, you following? But did you pick up on that line? It said, set his seal of ownership on us. And what is that seal? The seal is his name, declaring to the world who it is we belong to. You know, this is language of Christians bearing God's name comes up again and again in the New Testament. Saul is called God's chosen instrument to bear his name to the Gentiles in Acts 9. Saul, also known as Paul. Uh, Jesus calls us to baptize each other in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and there's plenty of other places where this name that we see first appear as the place where worship happens, this singular place in the midst of God's people in the Old Testament is now on each Christian. It's now the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's now wherever we go. Carmen Imes, who's a biblical scholar from the US and has a book called Bearing God's Name, calls it an invisible tattoo that marks us with his name. That's on every Christian. Um, in my case, I actually made the tattoo visible. Uh, but that's just a reminder to myself as to what it is I actually hold. So of Christians, we've had this name placed on us, which means three things. Firstly, we represent him, we belong to him, and we hold his presence within us. We are the way that people around us will come to know who God is. You can see this in both the wonderful example that some Christians are of the love of God. I'm sure all of you know someone like that. Uh, and we can also see this in how it's so often twisted by the failure of high-profile Christians and how the world points to that and uses it to talk poorly about God, to bring his name down. The way that we live and operate affects God's name. And if we do not live lives of love, we'll stain the name in the eyes of the world. But it also says who we belong to. As adopted children into the very family of God, in the same way that my parents gave me the name Litchfield, to tell the world I belong to them. His name on us says we're part of his family, his beloved children. And finally, it is his presence in us and with us, having the Holy Spirit. This is what that means. And with, it is with the guidance of the Spirit that we're empowered in spiritual gifts, in conforming our hearts to the fruit of the Spirit, and in being able to discern God's will. That name on us is also a mark of the authority, the spiritual authority given to us. So that name that was this holy place in the center of the people of God, where they would have to go to, is now spread among all of the people of God, which is pretty amazing. But what does it mean for the way that we actually live? Well, we go back to the commandments. As Chip said at the beginning, what he was saying, do not misuse God's name, the third commandment. That's the NIV translation. Um, other translations you might have heard are, don't take the name of God in vain. Um, 
common I'm, so I mentioned earlier, translates as do not bear the name of God. But it's about holding the name on you. It's about it being part of who you are and you, it's taking it up, right? So if you, are, if, you, if you are a Christian, you have taken God's name. You've done that. Don't bear it in vain. Right? We can see in Deuteronomy 12 how seriously the people of God take it. How seriously they take the place where God's name is. They must not worship in the way of the people around them. They must bring their sacrifices to that place. They're not free to worship in any way they choose, but in the ways that God has ordained. Through the giving of what they have in recognition for the things that God has given them. And this should manifest in the way that we worship as well. His name and his presence has been placed on our shoulders. This is why we spend so much time singing to God in our services. It's not ultimately to make us feel good or connected to God and to one another. It does do those things. That's really important. But the first thing it is for is to offer back to God the things he has given us. Our time, our energy, our voice. Back to him as a sacrifice. In the same way that in the Old Testament we gave cows or doves as a sacrifice in recognition of his presence and his name among us. Because right here is now the place that God has placed his name. God is with us. So we're to participate in that presence and in that new covenant relationship we have with God, we sing praises to him. But we worship in many more ways than just singing. Uh, in Romans 12, Paul tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His perfect, pleasing, his good, perfect and pleasing will. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. That sounds like it comes straight out of Deuteronomy 12, doesn't it? This is how you should worship, not in the way that the world does it. So in the light of bearing God's name on us and out of respect for his presence with us all the time, and so that we're not bearing that name in vain, we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. You've probably heard that before, I think. We talk about it a fair amount, but I think we don't necessarily talk about what it actually means all the time. It means we're to be set apart. Our very bodies and the things we do with them are given over to God. In the Bible, traditional sacrifice requires death for the sake of God. But a living sacrifice requires life for the sake of God. Living set apart from the world, from the ways of the world about, around us in obedience to his commands. Remember a way that might be a bit nicer to say that is living as apprentices to Jesus' way of life. So to live as one who bears the name of God is to be a living sacrifice 
which is to conform your way of life to the way of Jesus. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but offer true worship. If worship is all of life, then not living as the world lives is the same as not worshipping like the world worships. So if we're to follow that command in Deuteronomy 12, to not worship like the world around us, it's about living our lives with the values of the kingdom, living our lives differently. What are the ways the world around us worships? I'm sure you've probably heard sermons about the modern idols, money, success, comfort, sex, football. There'll be some line about the MCG being a temple or something like that. Uh, But what we might not notice is the ways in which the world worships its idols. What do they give to pursue those things? What do we give to pursue those things sometimes? Time and energy, for sure. But what I see being given is humanity, our own or that of the people around us. For example, sacrificing the humanity of a young Cambodian person who works in a sweatshop on the altar of cheap jeans, sacrificing the humanity of the family around me on the altar of a successful business, sacrificing the humanity of a woman I've never met on the altar of my own arousal. And in doing these things, you find you've sacrificed your own humanity at the same time. So do we ever let these modes of worship leak into the way that we do church? I think we do a decent job in our church. (laughs) It can kind of be hard to tell sometimes, but... And I don't know most of you in this service, but I think so. But we certainly see it in the church as a whole, the way that we treat celebrity pastors, in the way that we protect our power at the expense of others. And I don't think there's a clearer example of it than in the sex abuse scandals of leaders in the church. But there are small ways as well. The ways that we turn church to being about our own desires. You know, thinking that it's about our preferences. The community is here to serve us. How much do you come to a gathering expecting to be blessed? And how much do you come expecting to bless others? Do you find yourself undermining the humanity of the people around you in your own eyes so that you can justify valuing your own comfort over interacting with them? That's, that's actually one I do all the time. If, someone, if I find someone a little awkward, I'm also a little awkward, and that conversation is just hard. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to actually give that there. I just want to value my own comfort over that person. Is the way that we live as a community worthy of the holy name of God? Because that's essentially what that sacrificial system was about in Deuteronomy. But that's, that's a big question. I don't actually know if it's the right question. Because it's that Holy Spirit in us, that name of God on us. It's also what empowers us to live as living sacrifices. It's the very thing that we cannot afford to take in vain that enables us to live in a way that means we don't. If we live with love, joy, peace, kindness, 
patience, gentleness, and self-control. Not quite the right order, but the fruit of the Spirit, then we won't bear his name in vain. So how is it that we avoid... It's not... Sorry. The question is not how do we avoid worshipping the way the world, but how has our God freed us from worshipping in the way of the world, into worshipping in his way? And how do we live more into that? He pours his, out his love over us, providing life eternally. And in response, we're to sacrifice our lives into pouring that love into the community around us. And to do that, we've got to become the kind of people who can love like Jesus loves. It's more about sanctifying our hearts, renewing our thoughts, than modifying our behavior. And that's about cultivating the relationship between us and God as an act of worship. There's a guy called Gerhardus Voss, who's a 18th, 19th century to 20th century, kind of over the, the gap there, theologian. And he said, To be a Christian is to live one's life not merely in obedience to God, nor merely in dependence on God, nor even merely for the sake of God. It is to stand in conscious, reciprocal fellowship with God, to be identified with Him in thought, purpose, and work, to receive from Him and give back to Him in the ceaseless interplay of spiritual forces. Essentially, our lives are to be lived in this interplay with God, into this like sacrifice to Him and receiving from Him this reciprocal relationship, which is that covenant, which is what those sacrifices in the Old Testament were about maintaining. And in the new, in the new covenant, it's about living as a sacrifice to Him. But let's... I'm going to finish with, I've said a lot of things about sacrifice. Chip has said a lot of things about sacrifice. They might sound kind of confronting. But there's a part of the sacrificial system that we so often miss. The animal was sacrificed, but the meat was given back to the people to rejoice in what God had done for them, together in community, in the presence of God. They came together and rejoiced together in that place he'd placed his name. So when we live as living sacrifices we find that we're given our lives back with more joy and more humanity and more life than we ever could have expected. The world will ask you to sacrifice your humanity in worship of your own desires. Our God will ask you to sacrifice your desires in worship of him and you discover your humanity in the process. The sacrifice is not a loss of blessing or joy, but the path to it. As Common Imes says once again, you become your truest self as part of this extraordinary community of men and women who are being transformed from the inside out, who are becoming and living as his people. And that might not be fully complete now, but it will be. Because in the old covenant, God placed his name in one place. In the new covenant, he placed it in our hearts to take it to the whole world. In the new covenant, he placed it in every place. And the day is coming when he calls his name back to himself. When he makes his, this world anew and dwells in his holy city with all the nations of the world. And the name of God, we will gather as one people. And we celebrate as one people. We have joy as one people. So let us worship God now. 
um, in recognition of who he is, in recognition of his holy name on us, in that same reverence that they used in the Old Testament. And just in the knowledge that you have the holy presence of God in you, that we have it in this place. And wherever we go, we bring it with us. We represent him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for that name that you've placed on us instead of being some distant area that we had to travel to, but in our very hearts, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, Help us now to lift our hearts to you and to sacrifice our time in worship. But also help us to recognize all the things you have given us and all the things you give back to us and all the ways you have blessed us. In your holy name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.